Even in the midst of relationships and busy activities, we sometimes find ourselves lonely and disconnected from those around us. Because God made us for intimacy, He understands our loneliness, and He hears us when we cry out to Him. Dr. Dick Moulton offers us answers from God's Word to give us comfort and hope. From the New American Standard, Dr. Moulton has chosen Psalm 42, verses 5 through 11 as the Scripture text, and it reads as follows. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember Thee from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of Thy waterfalls. All Thy breakers and Thy waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and a song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, My rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. And now let's join Dr. Dick Moulton as he brings us his message, Living in Loneliness, The Path from Despair to Hope. Have you ever been there? It's a frustrating, lonely place to be. Before I get into the message, I want to spend just a few minutes and say a word of thanks to you. Many of you know that three and a half weeks ago, our oldest daughter gave birth to our second grandchild, uh, six weeks prematurely. She was born at uh, two pounds, 11 ounces, and has been in the neonatal intensive care unit in a hospital in Nashville for the last three and a half weeks. And the first few days, the first weeks were very day-to-day. But in the last... Uh, Last week, things have really turned around. She's really turned the corner, and she's gaining weight and gaining strength. And I directly attribute that to the prayers of God's people. And I appreciate that so much. You know, it's, it's one thing to know in our heads that, yes, God hears our prayer and God answers. But to be able to see it with your eyes in the body of a little baby is so incredible. But I just had to say thank you to you and encourage you to keep on praying if you would. My granddaughter's name is Tori, Victoria. They call her Tori. And uh, her mom's name is Angie. So thank you for your prayers. I'll start with telling you a story about a little boy, a little eight-year-old boy, who with his family was getting ready to move overseas. The family had packed up all of their belongings and had delivered them to the shipyard And the family had to wait overnight for the ship's departure the next day. They had gone to New York City and they were staying in a very plush hotel for that one night. And because their family dog, a rather large dog, a collie, was traveling with them, they had gotten special permission from the management of the hotel to keep their dog in their room with them. Well, at one point during the day, the father asked the young boy if he would take the dog for a walk. And I need to add that the streets of New York City were much safer then than they are now. 
And so the boy went down the elevator, down 11 stories with the dog, took the dog outside for a walk, and came back into this very elegant hotel lobby with this dog in tow. And he headed for the elevator, and immediately the bellboy accosted him and said, What are you doing in here with a dog? There are no dogs allowed in here. And before the boy could answer, he ushered them out the door onto the sidewalk. Well, the boy was somewhat perplexed, wondering how he was going to get in. And so he decided he'd wait until the coast was clear and wait a few minutes and went back in, looked around, didn't see the bellhop, and headed straight for the elevator with the dog in tow and standing there waiting for the elevator. And here comes the bellhop again. And he says, what are you doing in here? I thought I told you to get out and escorted them out the door again. Well, now he's really starting to get worried and afraid that he may not be able to get back to their room. And so he waits until the coast is clear again and heads for the stairway. Well, many of you may own dogs and have discovered that some dogs just really don't like stairs. This happened to be one of those who went up about half a flight of stairs and decided that it wasn't going to budge either up or down. And now this little boy was very perplexed because here he was stuck in the stairway, fearing that he was going to be stuck there for the rest of his life. But finally, with all of his weight, he was able to yank the dog back down the stairs, back out the door, and sit on the sidewalk, and he began to cry. And he felt so alone. And even though there were hundreds of people on the street passing by, none of them stopped to look at him, or to offer him any comfort or to find out what was wrong, and he felt desperately alone. I know just how that little boy felt, because he was me. God has been preparing me for this message for you on loneliness. When you don't get to preach very often like I don't, you really want to make it count, but God has been shaping me to preach a message on loneliness. And I can only take that to mean that there are people here who need to hear what God has to say to you. Not anticipating this message at all, when we were up in Nashville, I stopped at a bookstore. I bought a couple of autobiographies. And I began reading these. They were Neither one was a Christian autobiography. And as I began reading these, I was amazed at the loneliness that was expressed in the lives of these men. One of them is very well known, a man by the name of Brian Wilson, the creative genius behind the Beach Boys, an incredible songwriter who could stand in front of an audience of 10 or 20,000 people and feel incredibly lonely. In fact, the words to one of his songs really express where his heart is. In my room, there's a place where I can go and tell my secrets to in my room. There was a pervasive loneliness in Brian Wilson's life. I came back from Nashville and left my wife up there for another two weeks. And I have to tell you that in 26 and a half years of marriage, that is the longest we have ever been apart from each other. And there was an incredible loneliness that I experienced being apart from her. In fact, and I haven't told her this yet, and, and she's sitting back there in the cry room, but I'm going to tell her now, Nancy, I cried at night when you were gone. It hurt that much being apart. Well, I want to talk about loneliness because a lot of us are there, not even by our own choice. And there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in it. 
But God wants to use loneliness in our lives. I interviewed someone this week who allowed me to do that. He's a self-professed lonely man. He's a Christian. He attends church here at Northland. And he let me ask him these questions. I asked him, what are some of the feelings or symptoms you experience? And he said, well, I believe that loneliness is a part of depression. He says, I feel sometimes like I just exist, like I'm invisible around people. I've asked God to deliver me, and and he asked me to ask again. But it's hard to ask, because when you do, you feel like you're being ignored. I give out my phone number to people, people never call me back. And I wonder if maybe I'm not depressing others. There's an emotional and a physical impact. I get headaches. I get ulcers, but I don't cry anymore. I've gotten hard inside. I asked him, do your feelings ever change or vary? He said, well, I start isolating myself from other people. I walk around like I'm really confused. I I don't know how to relate to others. I experience a complete shutdown of my feelings and my emotions. Sometimes I get spiteful and in a rage and my feelings intensify. And sometimes I wonder why I can't function in society. What's wrong with me? I miss being touched, even superficially. And when I see others touching, it makes me ache. I asked him, where or how do you experience God? And he said, well, it took a long, long time, but I got the courage up to ask Jesus to come into my heart. And sometimes I feel his presence, but sometimes not. Sometimes I just feel numb. But I believe there must be a reason for this to happen. I'm waiting for what God has for me. I asked him how he was dealing with the loneliness. And he said, well, I feel as if I have to do everything on my own. I have to go to groups. I really really don't do any socializing. And I asked myself, why do I do the things that I do and then feel bad afterwards? I've never really had any friends. I was overly protected by my father. And then finally I asked, well, what is your prognosis? And he said, well, it's really hard to be hopeful. I'm happy the Lord's in my life, and I'm not drinking or doing drugs anymore. And he's taken the rage away from me. But I see more of a blur than a light at the end of the tunnel. It's safer to stay where I'm at, but I don't like where I'm at. And even if I were to get what I wanted, I'd probably push it away because I don't feel like I deserve it. Those are some profound thoughts. Let me share a few others with you. This is from a book written by a woman who lost her husband of many years as she reflected on the emotions that she was dealing with. She said, It's like an octopus lives inside of me. It squeezed my heart and it crawled into my throat. She said, Misery comes in huge splashing waves and ebbs and life goes forward. Peter Tchaikovsky, the great composer, wrote, none but the lonely heart can feel my anguish. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German Lutheran pastor who was imprisoned by the Nazis, wrote, sometimes God does not fill the gap, but he allows us to remain empty so that our communion with each other may be kept alive even at the cost of pain. In fact, someone ran a newspaper ad that read like this. said, I will listen to you for 30 minutes without comment for only $5. (laughs) Do you know that he got 10 to 20 calls per day 
of people who were so lonely that they just wanted someone to listen and they were willing to pay for it. What is loneliness? Let me define it for you in terms of contrast by defining another word first. And that word is intimacy. Intimacy is having someone with whom you know you can express anything and not be rejected. Let me say that again. Intimacy is having someone with whom you know you can express anything you feel and not be rejected. Intimacy is the biblical concept of one flesh. When God looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for the man to be alone, I will make him a helper suited to his needs or corresponding to him. And then a few verses later in Genesis 2, he said, and they shall become one flesh. God was describing intimacy. That was his intent for the human relationship. Now, loneliness is the contrast to that. Loneliness is not having anyone in our life to whom we can be intimate. See, when I got married, I told my wife, I said these flowery words that we say when the minister leads us in saying our vows to each other. And I said, I, Dick, take you, Nancy, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death parts us, And thereto I pledge you my faithfulness. Now, that's a lot to say, but what does that really mean? Let me boil that down for you. What we are really saying in those vows that we say to each other is this. I promise to be your intimate companion for the rest of my life, no matter what. Now, as hard as the last part of that is, the for the rest of my life, no matter what, the first part of that is actually harder. It is harder to remain your intimate companion because intimacy is scary to us. We're uncomfortable with intimacy. But God designed us for intimacy. You know how I know? I learned something when I was up in that neonatal ICU unit in Nashville. How many of you have ever heard of something called kangarooing? Anybody ever heard of that? Okay, a couple of you. My little granddaughter is hooked up to all sorts of monitors, all sorts of little sensors on her body connected to these machines that monitored her heart rate and her respiration and her blood oxygen level and all of these things. And, and, you know, you could watch the screen and watch everything going on. And whenever anything went out of normal, alarms would go off and nurses would come and check and see what was going on. Well, there were times when my granddaughter would get very upset and there was nothing that they could do that would calm her down and get those readings back in the normal range. And so they instructed my daughter to do this. They told her to open her blouse and to uncover the baby and put the baby on her stomach so they were skin to skin. And my daughter would sit there for hours with the baby just resting on her stomach And almost immediately after she was placed there, all of the readings would go back to normal. Why? Because God created us for intimacy. It's not good for the man to be alone. God wants us to be in intimate relations. But we're caught. We're caught because we want intimacy, 
But we want safety also. You see, intimacy is a frightening thing. And what we discover is that we can't have both intimacy and safety. And we retreat to our safety and we're torn towards intimacy. But as we move towards intimacy, we're risking ourselves and we retreat to safety. You know, there's a word for this. Any of you ever had a, a dog where you would pretend to throw a stick, you know, and the dog would kind of take off running and, and realize you hadn't thrown it and look around and start back and, you know, the dog just wasn't sure which way to go. The word for that is fetchplex. Well, <laughs> you and I get caught in fetchplex between wanting intimacy and wanting safety. And our loneliness only grows as we get caught in that middle place and can't find the intimacy we want and yet are not comfortable in the lonely safety that we create for ourselves. Intimacy is moving toward each other in a non-threatening way. As I take off my jacket, I am revealing myself. I am uncovering myself. And, and uh, you know, the more I took off, the more I would reveal. But I'm not taking any more off, okay? <laughs> We're stopping right here. But that's one way that we move toward each other in intimacy is by revealing more of ourselves. Another way we move toward one another in intimacy is by our proximity, by the way that we move close to one another. See, I'm a lot safer when I'm standing up there than, than I am when I come down here. Okay? And guess what? You're a lot safer when I'm up there too. <laughs> okay? Because moving toward is a... Can, can be a frightening thing. And particularly it can be frightening if I were to say to you, I'm going to approach someone that's sitting here and ask you a personal question. Okay? Now that's the way we can approach each other verbally. And see, that can be a frightening thing too. You know, particularly for these people sitting along the aisle here. They're thinking, uh-oh, is it going to be me? Okay, so let me do that. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm Dick. My name is Rick. Rick, glad to meet you. Let, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? I'll answer it <laughs> How long have you been coming to Northland? Uh, about four months. About four months. That's as personal as I'm going to get right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. See, I could have asked him a very uncomfortable question, but our relationship isn't at the point where that's appropriate at this point, nor is the setting for that appropriate. But do you see the, the dynamic that's at work? There's a, there's a discomfort as we move toward each other, that needs to be put aside. Philip Slater wrote a book called The Pursuit of Loneliness. And in that book, what he says is that we actually pursue loneliness because we understand loneliness, we're safe in loneliness, and intimacy is something that's unknown and foreign to us. And so rather than take the risk of becoming unsafe, we remain in our safe places. Do you know what Jesus said? This is so significant. In John chapter 10, he said these words. He said, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's he saying? He's saying that we need to learn how to die to the fear that we have. We need to learn how to die to the safety so that we are willing to move toward intimacy because unless we're willing to die to ourself we're going to remain alone but if we die we move out of that towards intimacy with one another move out of the loneliness 
we bear much fruit. Let's look at Psalm 42. If you have your scripture with you, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 42. We're going to begin in verse 5. This is a story, or a not really a story, but a dialogue, part of it with himself, of a lonely man. At least I'm going to assume it's a man. We don't know for sure, although it does say it was written by uh, one of the sons of, Kor- of Korah. But we don't know how this person got lonely. All we know is that when we pick up the reading in verse 5, that's where he is. Let's listen to what he has to say. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. The psalmist here is encouraging or instructing or perhaps even commanding, it's hard to tell the strength of that word, to hope, to hope in God. Why? Because I shall again praise Him. Even if I'm not in the place in my life right now where I can where I feel like I can worship God, I can at least have hope because I will again, at some point, praise Him. Even though that light at the end of the tunnel is a blur, I can at least know that it's not another train coming at me. God tells us to have hope. It's okay to have hope. In fact, the Scripture says we're not to live as those who have no hope. And if that's the case... That means that we will live like what God says is true. Now, that's simple, but that's profound. If we're going to live as those who have hope, then we will live as though what God says was true. Because it is. We need to live like it. In other words, if your marriage relationship is shaky, rather than withdrawing into safety, you can confess... I will live with hope. If your business relationship with your partner is falling apart, you don't need to protect yourself. You can say, I will live with hope. If you have just buried a loved one, you don't need to live a life of despair. You can confess, I will live a life of hope. Or if your room is lonely as you sit and eat the meal you prepared for yourself, by yourself, you too can profess, I will live with hope. Let's go on. Verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember thee from the land of the Jordan and from the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Now what in the world is he saying there? It sounds like he's giving a geography lesson. There's more than that here. Bear with me for a minute. What he is saying is that hope grows in and praise is expressed in the context of community. Now how did I get that out of there? He says, I remember... And he's remembering back in the context of what God did for the people of Israel, for the children of God. He remembers back to the land of Jordan, how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and how God in His faithfulness brought them across the river Jordan into the promised land as their inheritance forever. Remembered back that this isn't just about me. This is about the people of God. 
that I'm not alone in this. God brought us all together out of the wilderness into the promised land. When he talks about the peaks of Hermon, he's referring to about a 10,000 foot high mountain that was known not so much for the view you got from the top, but the fact that you could see this mountain from just about wherever you were in the promised land. And what made this important was, that, as Psalm 133 verse 3 says, it was a place where God promised the children of Israel this, this thing, where the Lord promised the blessing, life forever. It was a promise to God's people. And so wherever God's people were, they could look at Mount Hermon and say, Ah, yes, God promised us life forever. It was a place of encouragement that the people of God, either individually or together, could look to. And Mount Mizar is almost a joke. It means a little place. It means you can see and know God's presence even in the low places. You don't have to be in the high places. But wherever God's people are gathered, you can know His presence. There's a story about a missionary doctor who was a pioneer in the country of India. His name was Dr. Paul Brand. And one day, a couple brought their daughter named Anne to Dr. Brand. Anne was bleeding internally. And Dr. Brand operated on her and discovered that there was a tear in her intestines. And he sewed her back up and sent her home with her parents. And they were just ecstatic that he was able to help her. But a few days later, they returned, and they were distressed again that the bleeding was continuing. And Dr. Brand was kind of concerned about why that would happen. And as he opened Anne's body up again, he noticed that there had been no healing around the stitches that he had put in her intestines. In fact, as he went to examine those stitches, the skin literally fell apart where he touched Well, he did the best he could do, which was use little tiny stitches to sew her up, but he knew that it was hopeless. And Dr. Brand said this, there was something seriously wrong in her body. What was wrong was that something called the go-between was missing. What the go-between is, is the signal that goes to the healthy cells, the healing cells, to inform them that there's injury here and that they need to come and provide nourishment and healing for this part of the body that is wounded. No, he said, her body lacked that mechanism. And so even a tear, a sickness in a small part of the body caused a few days later the whole body to die. God has called us together as His body so that if there are those who are hurting, and lonely and afraid that there are those healthy cells, those healers in our midst who can pull alongside. That's what it means to be able, in the context of community, to praise God again, even when I don't feel like it where I am because I've got someone standing next to me who I know will be praising God and I can follow and be encouraged by Him. Let's go on. Verse 7 and 8. Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. He's talking about intimacy with God here. There is something more to loneliness than just the physical symptoms 
and the emotional symptoms. God wants to connect with us on a deeper level in our loneliness. Jesus often went away to a lonely place. Sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, we fill our loneliness with busyness so we don't have to face the loneliness. But listen to these words. Deep calls to deep. There's something in me that wants the depth that God has for me. In fact, I am so willing to seek after that that I will even allow God's waves, God's breakers to roll over me and I will, quote, go with the flow in order not to miss what it is that God has for me. And then the end of verse 8, I think, is incredible. The intimacy that is expressed here. A prayer to the God of my life. He's saying, God, this is my life. And I'm I'm putting it in your hands. You are the God of my life. And I'm entrusting who I am and what I have completely to you. That is my prayer. And God uses that time of intimacy to grow us deep in a way that no other experience in life will. Let's go on. Verse 9 and 10. I will say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? There is an enemy, and it's Satan. And Satan would do his very best to keep us from intimacy. And yet, there are also adversaries. And I believe many of those adversaries are in our own mind. As we fear and as we think of all the reasons why we should not take the risk of being close with one another. Intimacy is hard work. It means pressing on when you don't feel like it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer from that Nazi concentration camp in which he would die just a short time later wrote to his wife, of the loneliness that he was experiencing and being separated from her. And he told her some of the things that God was teaching him about loneliness there in in that concentration camp. He said this, I've discovered in myself an itching desire to abandon the daily routine. But he said, I've not succumbed to that. I know it's important that I not give in. Secondly, he said, I've learned that I should never give in to self-pity. I need not to feel sorry for myself, but to view this as part of what God has for me. Number three, I've learned not to share my feelings with strangers because they aren't ready to handle the depth of what I'm going through. And number four, he said, I've learned to keep holding out that I will win through what I'm experiencing. Many years ago, the great pianist, composer, Paderewski, came to the United States to put on a concert. The concert hall was filled with people. It was a black tie affair with the men in their tuxedos and the women in their long formal gowns. The place was abuzz with conversation as the concert was not yet started. And a mother had brought her nine-year-old boy with her in the hopes that upon hearing the great 
pianist play, that he would be encouraged to press on with his piano lessons. Well, the mother turned to speak with some friends, and unbeknownst to her, the nine-year-old slipped out of his seat, and strangely attracted by the ebony Steinway in the middle of the stage, slipped onto the stage, and without anybody seeing him, seated himself on that leather bench, and began to play the only song that he knew, Chopsticks. Well, the people were horrified. What's that boy doing up there? Get him off the stage. Where's his mother? Doesn't anybody know, what's, know how to keep an eye on their kids? But backstage, Paderewski heard what was going on, and quickly sizing things up, he picked up his coat, and he put it on, and with the, the tails flying, he rushed on stage, and he just got behind the little boy and reached around him. And as the little boy played, he began to play a beautiful counterpoint melody along with the little boy. And he leaned over and he whispered in his ear and he said, Don't stop. Don't give up. Just keep on going. You're doing fine. Could I say to you, God has the same word for you who are lonely? Yes, sometimes your efforts look very feeble and hopeless to you. But God keeps saying, Don't give up. I'm right here. And what you see is not the complete extent of what there is. Because I can make beautiful melody out of your small offering. Let's go back to that little eight-year-old boy sitting, crying on the street outside the hotel in New York City. As I sat there feeling lonely and afraid, what seemed like ages, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I looked up into the eyes of my father who had come looking for me. What a tremendous father we have who loves us enough to not leave us as orphans, to come and meet us at our point of need and draw us closer to himself. We don't need to live like prodigal sons wallowing with the pigs. We have a father who loves us, who calls us home. Pray with me. Father, there may be someone here this morning who has never experienced the intimacy with you that you desire for them to have. In his or her loneliness, Lord, they have felt safe, but very alone. Do you promise to come and meet us the point of our loneliness, and you offer us, offer us yourself, freely given, the sacrificed Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. Lord, would you come in to the, all the hearts, to any heart, Lord, that invites you in this morning, and would you come and take up residence there and offer comfort and fellowship and hope in the midst of what was a lonely existence. And Father, for the rest of us, for those who have already taken that step but still experience the pangs of loneliness in our lives, give us a sense of your ongoing presence in our lives. Your promise that you know the plans that you have for us to give us a future and a hope that even though we feel tremendously alone right now, Lord, you have not abandoned us. 
And also, Lord, for those who feel the loneliness ever so much more deeply because they are lonely in the midst of their relationship. And they are hiding from each other behind the walls of their own making. I pray, Lord, that you would tear down those walls, that you would give us the ability to die to ourselves for the sake of entering into the intimacy that you desire for us to have. And I pray, Lord, that as we move toward each other, you would enable us to find you in each other's arms. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.